The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment where in both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, and my offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini. And creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? Then get them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son.
Subliminal SF brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Um, oh, happy hour. What could be happier than...
the Weekly Review with Roman. It's July 1st, 2016. How did we get to July? I, I don't know. That was the Manic Street Preachers with If You Tolerate This, Then Your Children Will Be Next. A surprise hit at karaoke. Uh, I have to give a shout out to Dana Morgan, who runs a wonderful karaoke. Uh, there was karaoke brunch uh, at Etc. Wine Bar in the Mission this weekend, last weekend, and that's one of the selections in her karaoke songbook. And I usually do political songs, or as political as possible, whether it be War Pigs, or Killing in the Name, or this one. And uh, it's nice to have selections like that. Uh, I also sang Macho Men, because I have to kind of bring in some levity sometimes. Anyway. Uh, it's been a week. We've got a guest coming in at 1 p.m., and that is Ronaldo Ricketts. I met Ronaldo um, when I was sitting in for Diamond Dave and Val for Common Thread Collective a few weeks back. And so Ronaldo will be talking to us about Papua New Guinea and the invasion and colonialism. And uh, yeah, Ooh. I, I was thinking as I was biking over here this morning, how how did this come to be? How did I, you know, start this podcast? And originally, I started with my friend Molly, and like, oh, it'd be fun to do a news a news program. That'd be fun, and uh, it's become a little bit more serious over time. It has, and I guess the news, I guess it depends what kind of news you talk about. We could talk about news about clowns or news about comedy, which is if you're actually reading about what comedians are doing. And Roseanne currently recently called out Louis C.K., which that's been kind of going around. Anyway, so even if we're talking about comedy, it's like, oh, there's the other side of comedy and what's actually happening and how people mistreat each other. Oh, I guess it's, you kind of get down to it. And uh, almost no matter what the topic is, you, one can find something disturbing about it. That wasn't my point. My point was, oh, it'd be cool just to come in and like put together a playlist and I've always liked music and I do incorporate music into the show and just you know I'd love to and I do invite you know folks I know and oftentimes though it's talking about very often you know serious things that are happening in the world and uh, having deep discussions and one can have that certainly in a variety of settings uh, I do feel though I've kind of ended up curating this show to be a more heavy heavy show which is great, and I'm grateful for that. And it's evolved into to something that I hadn't quite planned. I thought it would be, and I do enjoy coming in. I enjoy doing the show. I think it's a privilege to be able to have space to come in and say whatever one wants to say and to be uncensored. And that's not something that uh, folks in places have. So that's very vague. But I do feel grateful to have this space to be able to speak and to be heard and to be able to say whatever I want. And that's very freeing. And imagine if everyone had that. I think some people shouldn't have that, actually. There's some folks who the media kind of, you know, looks the other way to and they get to talk about all their fascist ideas and then they should be shut up. They should be silenced. So there's some folks who people give a lot of airtime to who shouldn't have that. And then there's the majority of people who have something to say, have stories to tell, have their truths to tell. And if they were given... Uh, a, a place and a space and a platform to do that, I think a lot of folks would be maybe more informed. So that's one goal I have with the show is just to, to try to bring out folks whose opinions I might not normally hear and just to learn a lot and just to see how everything is connected. And speaking of which, we'll get to some stories. Are there happy stories? There actually are. The Supreme Court did some cool things. Uh, it's interesting being in it overall. I guess I'm an anarchist overall. And uh, this idea of like, 
when something actually good happens in, in government or in the law, it's like, that's cool. I'll take that. You know, I think I, I believe in changing things both within the system and without the system. Like we got to whatever we can get really at this point uh, to make things better. So the Supreme Court did a few good things. Uh, in Texas, they uh, made it more easy for, for women to access reproductive health care. And again, the common theme on this show, first, number one, say it all together, uh, the common theme is uh, calling out people in positions of authority who abuse their power, which is a very common thing that happens, and I think the cause of most evil in this world. And um, number two, highlighting and recognizing that the good things, the good news that happens are things that are only good because it's preventing something bad from happening or maybe undoing something that's bad. For instance, the example I often give is cannabis legalization or decriminalization across the country, something that should have never been, that it shouldn't have ever been criminalized in the first place, yet slowly but surely it's going to be you know it's get, getting more and more people are getting more and more access and doesn't solve all the problems but it's at least if we start getting people out of prison for being in there in the first place and also for folks who use it for medicine um, ensuring that they have access to it those are two really important things so that's good news even though when we're looking at it it's like that shouldn't have ever been illegal in the first place my birthday this year is on election day which just sucks it, it's okay it happened in 1988 and i remember even as a kid being like oh this is this is not good we don't want this to happen um i don't know if i i don't know too much about michael dukakis uh, again i'm more of a green party if i have to choose a party political party that's more of the the party that i agree with uh, their platform so i don't know who is green party i can do some i can you know i can look i think jesse jackson ran in 88 as well um, anyway, the point is, I don't know how things would have changed. I, I do feel like both parties are very much kind of driven by money. Uh, some are more upfront about it. Some are more biased. Anyway, long story short, how would the, things have been different in 1988 had Dukakis been elected? And also in 1980, the year I was born, I just gave away my birth year. Um, you know, I had Reagan for eight years, and ugh, what a mess that was. I'm going to get to my point about Election Day being on my birthday and how, like, I'm not looking forward to that, but whatever. And that would be, I think a lot of us have forgotten voluntarily that uh, the, the Bush-Cheney White House, how, and how disastrous that was, both home and abroad, and how many people were died because of it. And uh, my good friend, Louis Perlman, shout out to Louis. I was going to give shout outs to people today. <laughs> my friends, let's go down. Shout out. Uh, good. Also, Irene, too. Shout out to there's a, the Go magazine, 100 Women to Know. She was on the list, so gay. Cool. Yeah, just shouting. I'll do, it'll be the positive side of the news uh, today. Oh, so Louis, I, uh, a good friend of mine from New York, he ended up moving, and I had some stuff stored at his place for a little bit, so he, he mailed me back a box of stuff that I had at his place, and it was, like, pretty much things from the 2000s, and it's very much corresponding to that era and just what a fucking mess it was. So I found, like, I had notes from when I did, I was doing stand-up comedy, and, like, there was a joke, it's like, I hate the president, I don't know why he's so anti-gay, considering he lets Tony Blair suck his dick. That was an actual joke I told. And then I had a, a T-shirt that said, had a picture of Bush, Bush's face, W's face on it, and it said international terrorist on it. And I see looking back, it'd be more accurate to have Cheney's face on it, because I think he was, and Karl Rove, like they're the ones more to place the blame on. Um, and then there's also a letter I wrote 
there's a lot of form letters when they said they were going to invade Iraq again. Um, sent a letter that was like, please don't do this. It's stupid. That was pretty much the essence of the letter I sent. And then got a response from the White House that was like, we care about the Iraqi people and we're going to free them and all this lies and nonsense. So among you know some other clothes and things I hadn't seen for a while were all these artifacts from like the 2000s and like what a fucking mess. And I'm not, it's not saying that like, Things aren't corrupt at the time being and have always been corrupt to an extent. It's the idea that we're kind of living through it. And I feel like there's a lot of, I guess, guilt can be a useless emotion because it doesn't change anything unless one acts on it. But being a young adult and coming into the world and recognizing these are the quote unquote leaders and they are messing things up royally. They are murderers and they're liars. And these are the folks who are running this show and how as someone at the time in my 20s, it's like, what a fucking mess this is. How do we, first of all, get on with our own lives and you know figure out how to be in the society while simultaneously this is happening and in this country? And I felt you know it's like we're all somewhat responsible. Granted, no one I know you know voted for him, but even beyond that, like even though they stole the election, beyond that, that was still something to experience and to live through. So. My feelings around elections are very heavy, and there's also that part of me that's the I do believe in the idea. You know, if voting were to change anything, they would make it illegal, and I do agree to that to a, a great extent. I recognize it's with local politics. There's things that can get passed, and things can be helpful more in that. So I feel like focusing more on local is a bit more helpful than the the, the broader scale. So my birthday is on election day this year. That's my point, and the positive spin aside from the fact that Dick Cheney is not on any of the tickets, is that many states are looking to completely decriminalize cannabis, and that includes California and Nevada, and there's a few other ones I'll look up as well. I think there's maybe five total. So that's cool. So that's one thing to look forward to. I cannot honestly see that not happening. And again, even if it passes, then there's, of course, who's going to control the farms, and how are they going to be run, and who's going to profit off it? And can we make sure that people who have been incarcerated for it will be released? That's a big deal. However, uh, that's a positive thing. This is me on a positive note. I'm wearing a bright green t-shirt today, trying to be all sunny and happy. It's summer. You can't really tell here in the Bay Area because the weather is very consistent. Uh, There's blue skies. It's pretty, pretty nice out. So yes, opened up the show with Manic Street Preachers, a great song. I didn't know all the lyrics fully until I sang it at karaoke, and I'm very grateful that there's a line in a song that involves shooting fascists. And that'll get us into some <laughs> what stories to start off with. There's a lot. There's definitely a lot happening. And last week was Pride Weekend, which was, oh, there's so much to talk about. I don't know if I'll get to everything. I'll do my best. And... Um, at Pride, I went to the only events I went to really mostly was like Trans March, which is last Friday, and so I pre-recorded the show um, last Thursday. So Trans March is always an awesome event, and I really appreciate it. And I see a lot of great people there. And Felix and Poe, shout out to them, performed. They were great. Carlin, shout out to him. He he was one of the co-hosts. Just a lot of great folks uh, at Trans March, and just walking around the park, and just really good energy, and like really cool booths set up, and just feels awesome. I enjoyed it very much. Also, shout out to the folks at uh, at Bindlestiff and Queer as Fuck. It was an awesome production I was involved with last weekend. Had a, some really great shows, and that was really awesome. Yeah, a lot of positive things happening. So going back to Trans March, I left because I had to get to the show, uh, so I wasn't able to march. However, some folks burned the American flag. 
putting that out there. Um, yeah, that happened. And there's a nice, this will lead to the next, uh, the first <laughs> article I'll get to, which is a, I'll start off with some trans news, because why not? Uh, trans, trans, trans. Uh, it's nice to talk about when there are positive things, and there's there's a lot of hardships, and there's also some positive things that are happening, so I like focusing on on that quite a bit when we're able to. So studies, that's another, probably the third section of the show that we that I, I would say is a recurring theme is uh, studies cer- or studies that are done that kind of prove what we already knew. And it's like, that's cool. You invested the time and now we have some statistics to back up what we already knew. And you know, I'll take that. That's, that's pretty good. So this one, uh, it's, it was posted on Buzzfeed. So make of that what you will. And of course with like the census and all these things are not actually, there's n- it's like never quite foolproof and 100, 100%. Um, it is great to know how many trans folks there are, at least have an estimate, because quite often our enemies are people who like are like, oh, there's only like five trans people. I'm like, no, that's not true because I, yeah, like definitely not true because uh, I've met quite a few. Anyway, it's lies. So a lot of folks try to like downplay like oh there's like why do we have to cater to like point zero 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 three percent of the population and trans folks first of all we've been around forever and there's a lot of us and some folks fall you know we we're beneath the radar you might not recognize that we're there like that happens quite a bit uh that we're here and people don't know that we're trans anyway so here's an article the estimated population of transgender people in the u.s they say has doubled i think we've always been here um folks maybe not have felt comfortable coming out and then also of course there's lives have been lost they're not counted in this unfortunately um but we're gonna read this get some statistics under our belt and this is written by dominic holden uh new figures were released thursday by the williams institute uh the tennessee williams institute no but I'll call it that because I can. The country's leading researcher on LGBT demographics. I'm glad they're doing this. That's pretty awesome. And first of all, I had a huge problem because I find problems with, I can find the good, I can find the good, I've got qualities in that, I can find the good in everything, and I can also find the bad in everything. Um, so the image that they, they attach to this article, and I don't share as much on social media because I find a lot of the time the, uh, images that correspond with the articles just like they don't quite match or they make me uneasy or it's like why have a picture of this dumb person like it's like why do I, I want to look at this person I want to read the article and I recognize unfortunately or fortunately I don't know that they do say if you share an article that has a photo attached it's much more likely to be read and shared so it's like oh it's just, it's like I don't want to share it because the photo looks dumb it doesn't make sense however it might grab people's attention so the one that they attached they included in this article is a picture of three flags now, the one in the back that you can barely see is the trans flag. That's weird, considering the article's about trans people. The one in the front, you can see fairly well, is the gay flag, the gay pride flag, the rainbow flag that a lot of folks are familiar with. That's pretty neat. The one in the middle that probably has, it's like the highest and has the most stage time, as it were, is the American flag, the same one which was burned at the trans march. Now. You can't really see that you couldn't like unless someone was familiar with what the trans flag looked like you wouldn't even necessarily be able to see it in the picture it's like the hidden pictures in highlights magazine you'd be like is it there yeah it's kind of the the american flag is covering it up that's what i'm trying to say and you can't even see it that well so the fact that this is like the image that they used for this article it's like really guys oh so that's that's my comment on the photo that they used
So thanks, Getty Images, for that photo of those three flags. Roughly 1.4 million adults who live in the United States are transgender, according to a new report released Thursday by the country's leading researcher on LGBT demographics. The figure doubles previous population estimates released in 2011 by the Williams Institute, a division of the UCLA School of Law. The revision, based on new federal data, comes amid an escalating national debate over trans rights in which conservatives have often downplayed the need for non-discrimination laws by citing the relatively low number of transgender people. The report titled, How Many Adults Identify as Transgender in the United States? That's aptly titled, states that transgender people make up 0.6% of the country's total population. That population is equivalent to that of a metropolis. The report finds that the number of adults who identify as transgender range from state to state, with the lowest estimates in North Dakota and Iowa, two states I've actually never been to, and at 0.3%, and the highest in Hawaii and California at 0.8% of the population. The figures are based on survey responses in 19 states. How can... Okay. The, the figures are based on survey responses in... I don't know how they can do the whole United States if they only talking about 19 states, but okay. The figures are based on survey responses in 19 states collected by the Center for Disease Control's Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance ooh, surveillance System in states where the CDC did not collect data on transgender people. Ah, researchers say they used statistical models to find ranges of likely population figures to establish credible estimates. Younger people were more likely to report being transgender, the researchers reported. An estimated 0.7% of adults between the ages of 18 and 24 identify as transgender, right? Andrew Flores, Jody Herman, Gary Gates, and Taylor Brown. Lower percentages of older adults identify as transgender, with 0.6% of adults aged 25 to 64 and 0.5% of adults aged 65 or older identifying as transgender. Previous estimates released by the institution in 2011 pegged the transgender population at 700,000. Researchers speculate that lower figure was due in part to fewer states reporting information and because transgender people may have been less willing to report their gender identity. The report says more robust estimates are possible now due to better survey data, adding, as new data collection efforts emerge at the state and national levels, estimates can continue to be refined to improve our understanding of the size and characteristics of the transgender population. So, I think that's some pretty good news. Uh, again, it's good just to uh, not feel so alone, in a way. I'm always happy to meet other trans folks, and of course, there's, we're, there's tons of us out there. That's never been uh, an issue or a question, but I feel like now, more so, more and more people are coming out, and there's uh, less of a feeling that we're being, that we're alone. So other stories we'll be getting to is uh, Brexit, but first of all, it's going to just end uh, the attack in Istanbul. There's, that's always, I never quite get to everything. Uh, the show could be 24 hours a day and it would never get to everything. So I wanted to focus more just on the starting off with last weekend and the, the there's, uh, so Black Lives Matter were um, supposed to be uh, in the parade uh, 
the grand marshals of the parade and and as well as folks from St. James Infirmary, which is an awesome clinic that helps sex workers. And they decided to bow out due to the increased police presence, which kind of goes against the whole idea of, you know, racial and economic equality that the parade, that's the goal of the parade that they are saying. So, um, so they stepped out. And so there is, um, yeah, the whole pride thing is very, it's complicated. It started off as a riot years ago. That's how they, that was how the gay pride was born. And now there's quite a few corporate, there are like banks and corporations. Like I won't even, I won't name them. I won't name names of the corporations that we all already know. And the banks that we all already know. There also were schools. There were like religious institutions and there are some nonprofits like Planned Parenthood. I'll give them a shout out. They were there. They had a, they had a, I don't know, didn't have like a float, but they were there. Uh, SEIU, a union, uh, health workers union. They were there. So, you know, folks, it's, it's complicated. It's really complicated because there are some folks who are just like, yeah, I'm going to get there and get drunk and party and, you know, pass out like corp, you know, like lit, I'm not, not going to, I won't name the, the problematic large companies' names, but they made a huge, they're a huge part of the parade. And it's like, how did this happen? Like this shift is really, I think, quite dangerous. And in the fact that folks like from Black Lives Matter and St. James Infirmary, that were, you know, in, that are integral to the part of the community that they are not there. And these, these other corporate, these corporations are there that are problematic, I think says a lot about the state of, you know, where we are. <sighs> So I was going to read an article that, um, so a few folks were, were booed off the stage at Trans March, and um, that includes Mark Leno. And some people were like, well, Mark Leno has done some good work and good legislation. And he also has, however, has uh, backed Scott Wiener. And as a lot of folks know, Scott Wiener has been very anti-homeless, uh, very pro-developer, um, very anti-nudity, and a lot of things that kind of are against what makes the community what it what it is and so folks can understand mayor ed lee being booed off and wiener being booed off but some folks were like you know why why mark leno so um storm miguel flores who is an awesome person and also he's also one of the producers for um for Major, it's an awesome documentary about Miss Major, and he's also involved with the Fresh Meat Festival, which I highly recommend. Um, penned a letter that was kind of like, just, um, just kind of talking about why this happened for folks who might not be aware. So that you can find this in the Mission Local uh, paper, and you can also find it online at missionlocal.org. All right, community letter disappointed by Mark Leno. And uh, his bio, Storm Miguel Flores is a filmmaker and artist who wrote this open letter to State Senator Mark Leno in response to the senator's remarks at Friday's Trans March, where he and other politicians were shouted off stage. Dear Senator Mark Leno, I am writing to you as a trans Latinx person who has lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for the past 20 years. I've also been actively involved in Trans March in some capacity, both as a participant and a past organizer since it first started. Yesterday, I arrived at the Trans March just as you were being booed off stage. I was surprised, frankly. I was fully expecting Scott Wiener and Ed Lee to be heckled, but not, did not suspect that you would be met with that response given your history with the trans march. 
That said, I was incredibly disappointed by your response and your lack of connection to today's trans communities in San Francisco. When our community made it clear that they did not want to hear you speak, you stayed on stage and scolded the audience. I'm grateful that you have been a longtime supporter of the SF Trans March and the larger trans communities. However, your response on Friday, and frankly, your endorsement of Scott Weiner, tell me that you are not in touch with those most mar marginalized and targeted in our communities today. In your own words, you say you were heckled by people who are, quote unquote, new people to the city who don't know their history, who don't even know who I am. If that is true, then what is also true is that you don't know them. And I'm betting they know more about our current struggles than you do. And while some of those heckling you may not know you, many do. For instance, I know that at least one of the loudest hecklers was a trans elder who has been in community for years and was angry that you singled out Teresa Sparks as the person who started the Transgender Civil Rights Implementation Task Force when it was actually started by several members of the trans community, including Marcus Sorana, Dominique Leslie, David Cameron, LJ Irving, Shauna Virago, Veronica Fimbray, and Sarah Marshall. Other longtime trans community members booed you because you endorse and align yourself with Scott Weiner. And I believe you were also called out because many of us are tired of politicians using us for photo ops and exposure. <laughs> Elected officials show up to a few trans events throughout the year to placate our communities with declarations from the city and state. We want more from you. If politicians really want to be our allies and show up in support, you would come to our events without expecting to, or even finding it appropriate to, get on our stages. You would show up, step back, and simply listen. Heckling politicians is as old as politics itself and is an opportunity for elected officials to step back and ask their constituents, what do you need? What can I or we be doing better? It is not a time to become defensive and call a community that you are not a part of disrespectful for using their voices and expressing dissent. It is not a time to condescend and tell our community members that we are being irrational and that we should be ashamed of ourselves. Yes, people were angry and screaming and cussing at you. That must be very hard, but it is a part of your work as an elected official to recognize that emotional communication does not equal irrational thought. That people are angry and calling for you for your attention in the best way they can to pay attention to our dissent and our struggles. People are being pushed out of San Francisco, mental health services are being cut, community service organizations are begging for scraps from the city budget so that they can continue to serve what's left of our communities here in San Francisco. Please understand that many in our community have had it with Scott Weiner and Ed Lee, whose policies are harming San Francisco's homeless, many of whom are trans, lesbian, gay, and bisexual, and many of whom are youth. When community members booed you off stage for standing shoulder to shoulder with these politicians who have deeply harmed our communities, yet demand space on our stage for a photo op, you could have used that moment to acknowledge that you heard that you were not welcome. You could have offered an invitation to meet with community members to gain a better understanding of our anger and frustration. You could have pledged to work with us to make things better, and then you could have left the stage graciously with, and with humility and invited Scott Weiner and Ed Lee to leave with you.
So many of us are fighting to make sure that all people in our trans communities are safe and thriving. Our outrage is a perfectly rational and appropriate response to city and state policies that prioritize commerce for an elite few and erode safety and well-being for the rest of us, and to politicians who are by course of their action and inaction killing us. We know who you are, and while we valued your allyship in the past, perhaps it's you who are new to the city. We're fighting to survive here, and we're shouting to be heard. In solidarity with my fierce and beautiful community, who will never hesitate to tell you the truth. Storm Miguel Flores, SF District and Re District 8 resident, filmmaker, and artist. All right, so we're gonna take a, a bit of a music break. I'm gonna be playing some music from the film Major, which uh, Storm Miguel um, co-produced. I highly recommend it. How you doing? <laughs> Thank you. 
and welcome back to the weekly review. Thank you. Joined here with uh, Ronaldo Ricketts. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, yeah. We met um, when I was sitting in for Dave and Val for Common Thread Collective. Yes. And spoke with you then, and I'm happy to have you here on the weekly review. Yes, and um, I'm here to tell you about the reception and how there were people there were impressed with the interview that, that we did. I sent it oh, to them. Oh, awesome. And this is all the way in Holland. Very cool. I was their guest of honor, believe it or not. <laughs> you know, what? one of the guys named Urinek told me that, he said, in, in my country, I would have killed a pig in your honor. Wow. <laughs> Today, you know, the, the food was, oh, God, the food was amazing. Yeah. Food was amazing, delicious. We had, we had a good time. We had a long discussion, and it was... It, it was inviting, it was thrilling, it was everything I expected, everything I wanted, and more. Oh, awesome. And more, and more. You see, the, the, there is an exile community yeah. that exists in Holland and and a lot of European countries, mm-hmm. uh, the Papuan movement. Yes. And uh, these people were, God, I mean, they were, they were attacked. In 1969, mm-hmm. by the Indonesian government, and the UN turned a blind eye. And the analogy I draw is that when Mussolini attacked Ethiopia, the UN also turned a blind eye. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at a sovereign nation that was attacked, and and when Mussolini attacked Ethiopia, do you know what the UN, what which was then the um, the League of Nations, yeah. went from the League of Nations to the UN? They said concede, concede to Mussolini. <laughs> this is outrageous. And the same thing happened in 69. The Indonesian attacked the sovereign nation and and they turned a blind eye again. So it tells you about the priorities yes. of the UN. Yeah. What are the priorities of the UN? Do you, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but they, I mean, Holland is basically, it's it's like a, 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 a neoliberal country. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you know that the flag of the people of West Papua is not allowed in the country? I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. I didn't know either. How, how, <laughs> I mean, how you can would that think, even be? You think Holland, you think of all this liberalism, just like San Francisco. Yeah. People think, oh, San Francisco, so accepting of other people and yeah. causes. And it's a fallacy. Mm. There is, it, it, it's, a, it's a facade that San Francisco is liberal. Yes. Oh, I talk about San that on the show all the time. San Francisco is not liberal. Yep. <laughs> no. No, San Francisco is brutal yep. to people that don't fit in the system because, well, I mean, you have the people from Silicon Valley, and these people are jacking rents, yeah. you know, to astronomical prices that no one that's working, I mean, the working class people can even afford. Yeah. So then what they're doing in the mission, especially, is that they're burning down their oh, buildings. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's not a secret that these mysterious fires, these mysterious, mysterious. fires translate into, like, millions of dollars. Yes, yeah. But getting back to the Papuan um, cause, yeah. and that is that you are there are people that are ostracized. They are ostracized in Holland. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not even able, they are not allowed to even show their flag. 
But yet still, Holland has, they, they, they have this international reputation of being liberal. Uh-huh. Liberal is a very subjective term. Yeah, maybe they're just not as fascist as other places. Would that be a better way of putting maybe it? Maybe they're not as fascist. <laughs> that is a very good analogy. They're not as bad. It's like the two, like the greater of the two evils. Yes, yeah. You know, but then the fact that what I learned that shocked me is that they're not allowed to display their flags in Holland, and that is because, but then when you put the whole thing in historical perspective, you will see that that the Indonesians were dominated by the Dutch. Mm-hmm. And today, what, what, what we're looking at, we're looking at a very, very complex structure. Yeah. And, and they, are, they are denying just the symbolism of having a flag in Holland, which is one of our, which is supposed to be one of the most progressive countries uh, 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 in Europe. Just like how San Francisco is supposed to be one of the most most progressive progressive cities, cities, and yet still we see this neo-fascism in the country. Yeah. Why are these people that are minority with no political power are discriminated in that country, in Holland? Well, it's kind of like how the homeless are discriminated against here in San Francisco. It's like the folks who are the most marginalized. Discrimination, blanket. Yeah. You you know, I I am, I build myself kind of as a human rights activist. Mm -hmm. If you are a human rights activist, then you are for human being. Yeah. You know, I don't define people's bedroom gymnastics. Yeah. You know, whatever a person's bedroom gymnastics is, to me, is their personal goal or ideals at which they wish to live their life. Yeah. You know, I am... I, I, I guess I see myself as a kind of lazy fear mentality. Yeah. Is that I am not here to judge you. Right. I don't walk in your shoes. So why should I be allowed to judge you? Yeah. What qualifies me to judge you? Right. Whether I disagree with you or not, it's not even, is totally insignificant. Yeah. See, what is significant is your humanity. Right. Right. You cannot deny people the humanity, whether you agree with them or not. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you just can't do this. Yeah. I mean, earlier you were talking about Mark Leno. I mean, the the um, the, the the state representative, and how he was shunned and booed. Yeah. Because it's, it's see, politicians are parasitic by nature. Mm. <laughs> mm. They are parasitic by nature, and they yeah. think that all they need is slogans. You know, like mm. Donald Trump, the Trump. Yeah. You know, they they think all they need is. It's a slogan, mm-hmm. and people will fall for the slogan. Yeah, but it's not working. This is the 21st century, and the, and and the game that they weave is complex. Yes, and the people that you're weaving the game against are just as hip as you are, mm. <laughs> and they need to understand that. Yes, you know, in 1969. 1969, the Indonesian, they just took it upon themselves to invade West Papua. And why? What I understand, there's gold. It's a great. Yeah. So then you, you have the, 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 the Dutch government 
are in bed. They were they, the Dutch actually enslaved the Indonesian, and the Indonesian have become a a a, um, a byproduct of the Dutch. I see. And they obviously support them. The fact that they even ban a flag. Yeah. When you ban, what if they ban your flag? What if they ban the flag that represents people around the world of whatever, yeah. whatever your cause is? Yeah. What if they ban that? Yeah. Why do you need if if people if you have to ban something? Yeah. Then there's obviously something. Then you something are becoming suppressor. Like over yeah, it's like this overreach. That right. You no... become you have become a suppressor. Yeah. In the light. Of people like Hitler, mm-hmm. you've become you've 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 drawn an enemy yeah. like Donald Trump. I mean, I was in your I, I was in Germany, yeah, and I, I I went to Berlin while, while I was in Europe, and and you know what the people told me this they said like Donald Trump, how could people in the United States even accept that? This is the closest thing they've seen to Hitler, <laughs> yeah. to Hitler on a world on a world scale, yeah. And they're going, no, yeah. it's not true. What's wrong with the people of this country? Well, you know what? There's an opposition yes. to the Donald Trumps oh, of the world. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There is an opposition to them. It's just like there was an opposition to Hitler. Mm-hmm. You know, in Nazi Germany, there yes. was an opposition we never hear about. Right. But there was an opposition yes. to these people. Yes. You know, there's always an opposition to totalitarianism. Yeah. And what we're looking at today, we're looking at the same thing. We're looking at a person that builds a political movement on slogans, no substance. Mm-hmm. No substance None. at all. Yep. No substance at all. And then politicians that just simply want to be elected. Yeah. Um, based on slogans. Yeah. You know, like Leno was booed. There must be. I, I am not that much in tune with actually what happened. I saw it. I saw it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw it on Facebook. I said that there must be a reason that you're being booed. Yeah. yeah. People don't <laughs> All yeah. these people cannot be wrong. Right, 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 right. <laughs> What's like 100,000 Elvis fans? 100,000 people cannot be wrong about yeah. you. Yeah. No. You get 100,000 people and they're booing you. There is something wrong with this picture. Right, right. And it's the same thing. And see, the struggle is universal. Yeah. Oh, the struggle is universal. The, you have to, then the factor that you always have to look at, and that is economics. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I, I've heard that there is there there is coal in West Papua. Mm-hmm. There is coal, and then who are the international gold merchants of the world? These are the people we have to look at. We have to look at the corporate structure mm-hmm. of this country. You have to look at the Donald Trumps and yep. the Hillary Clinton. Yep. I mean, Hillary went to one of Donald's weddings. Yep. Oh, yeah. They're <laughs> what, all, does, yeah. what does that tell you? Is Hillary, and then they tell us, they, well, this is the better of the two evils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not the better of the two. There are two evils and they're asking you to make a choice of two evils. Yep. And the choice of two evils is just evil. simply evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are, we are looking at at propaganda mm-hmm. you see all we get is propaganda this this is where the voice of the people is heard mm-hmm. 
here. Mm -hmm. People and their voices are heard here because we have to let the world know. Yeah. You know, I I want the people in West Papua and and that are scattered around the world to know that there are people that support their movement. Yes. And understand the plight yes. of the people of West Papua. Yeah. And and this, their, their struggle is worldwide. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The struggle is worldwide. There are people, whether you agree with people, I know sexuality is deep, you know, and then there are people that feel that, well, your movement is about your sexuality, be it yes or no, and how you define yourself. But then you have to understand is that suppression is universal. Yep. Oh, yeah. So it, it, is, has, yeah. it goes beyond a person's sexuality. Yeah. It is skin color. Yeah, there's intersectionality. Right. So, yeah, and it's based exactly. on the bodies so that then, we're born into. So then you're, and you're body looking at people that are judging you from their norm and what determined their norm? Who do they accept? Right. I was in Brazil for the World Cup. Almost gotten thrown out of that country. I've been only thrown out of two. Ooh, I'd like to hear about that. Oh yeah, I was in Brazil for the yeah. World Cup. Now Brazil, <laughs> Brazil is a color-coded caste system. Mm. The darker yeah. you are, the lesser you are. Me as a dark, dark black Panamanian, <laughs> I am lesser than. So when I went into the bank, I was treated with total disrespect. They threatened to bring the guards on me. All it was is that I didn't notify my bank and I went into a bank and they just looked at me, you're black, it's like F you baby. You know, this is the mentality of Brazil. You go into Brazil and you turn on your TV, you will swear Brazil was a white country. Huh. <laughs> black people in, are a majority in Brazil, but yet black people are not even a fractional minority power. Mm. Brazilians are simply waking up that they are victims. Yeah. They are victims of an economic a game. Yeah. They're victims of an economic, and they're waking up. Yeah. See, the world's waking up. We need a stage like this. We need to get the world out mm -hmm. on people like this. I mean, I, I was just the other day, I was watching a, um, there, was, there was a program on these two people, this man and this woman that were gay, that were in Brazil. Yeah. And they interviewed a guy that killed gay people. That's like his job. That's what and, he does. And this is the, this is the, one of these TV stations on the cable that killed gay people. And then the lady said, like, should we tell, should we tell this guy that, that we're gay? And I'm like, they, they debated it. They finally, they, they brought it out. Yeah. They said, well, why is it that you hate gay people? Yeah. You know, you know what he said? He's he positive. I you think. Know what he, you know what he said? He had a son. He had a son. Yeah. That was gay. He had a son that was gay. I said, well, well, yeah. I said, well, well what happened? Well, I don't know. He went away and he never came back. Maybe because he had a homophobic father. This is the guy that has killed 
several gay people, many gay people, your son disappeared. Oh no! <laughs> yes. Fuck. You see, his son just had nothing to do with him, and his son disappeared. This is what. This <sighs> is what propelled him to kill gay people. He found his son in a physical act yeah. with someone. Yeah. And it, I will not put it past him that he killed him. His son is no longer around. But uh, it just, just my assumption of yeah, the situation. Yeah. What I saw, I saw this on one of these cable TV stations. And it said, it said it, this hatred in this world has been around for a long time. Yeah. And as a black man, I... To me, it is appalling to hate any group. Yeah. Whether I agree with your lifestyle or not is totally insignificant to me. To me, I find that insignificant. What you do in your private life is your business. Right. Why am I upset or concerned with what you do or what you believe. Yeah. Shouldn't you have the freedom to express yourself sure. and be yourself? Yeah. You see, hatred is a powerful drug. Mm -hmm. And people like Donald Trump, the Trump, the skunk, mm -hmm. you know, that use it's an this. insult to skunks. They, they, these skunks, they use... They use the differences. Not we, we don't live in a marginal society. We all don't think and act and do the same things. And when you get someone that propagates hatred, mm -hmm. that's where I draw the line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I define myself as a human rights activist, and you are for humans, and you are for humanism. Yes. You are not. I am. I am not a part of any hatred group. Yeah. I will not be part of anybody that hates anyone in this society. If someone is unlike you, let them be. Right. That is my philosophy. It's very yeah. laissez-faire yeah. when it comes to people. Is that then let them be. How do they affect you? Right. Well, it's when people are uncomfortable with themselves. Exactly. Taking it exactly. out on people. I mean, I knew a guy once that this woman I was, that, that I was dating way back in the 70s and and this guy used to come over to my house, and, and he was, yeah, she had a child, so this was her child's uncle. And he used to come over to the house, and he used to tell me about how he hated gay people. <laughs> Just like having a conversation, I mean, like, like, how's yeah, it going? He, he told me yeah. how he hated gay people. He knew that I had friends that were gay. Yeah. I did. Yeah. There were people I knew. Yeah. I, whatever gym, bedroom gymnastic they have, have nothing to do with me. Right, right. Why, why should I be concerned with that? Yeah. And he told me how he hated them. Well, he accused his brother-in-law of being gay. <laughs> I mean, this guy married to your sister, has children. And, and then you swear, and then one day he pulled out a picture. Uh-huh. Of his brother-in-law. Mm. So look at this guy. This guy's a faggot. Sounds like he had a crush on him. I'm like, whoa. Uh, like, this is it. You're not walking with a picture of this man in your wallet. Unrequited love. Yeah. And then one day, he was talking to my girlfriend at that time in the 70s, and he said, he slipped, and he said, my old man. <laughs> 
Yeah. Like, what did you say? Yeah. What did you say? And it's cousin people are the most bigoted people. Absolutely. It's like all those politicians who pass like anti gay legislation I mean, and then at, are look caught. Look at the Republicans yes. in the society oh, yeah. that, that have been busted. The other yep. one that he knew the gay bathroom code with the foot yep, signal. Yeah, Larry Crick. How did you know that, Grasshopper? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Grasshopper, how did you come in touch with these, yeah. these secret yeah. signals yeah. that you were busted? And then isn't it, what is ironic is a lot of the the majority of them are Republicans that vote against Against, yeah yeah. Gay people. And I feel they, like the staunchest, yeah. the staunchest anti-gay yeah. people are gay people. Yeah. And it's one <laughs> thing. Yeah. And it's one, absolutely. It's like one thing to be like struggling with your sexuality because I do right. feel like it's fluid in our so, in American culture. Like it's very stigmatized. We're very backwards when it comes to like sexuality and nudity. Right. And so I recognize that one, it takes time for folks to come to terms with it. However, when someone is outwardly being homophobic and passing legislation that harms people, that's when I feel like people should be called out on it exactly if you're like you oh, want to no be open question. about it that's one thing but if you're actively saying that someone else cannot do it that's a problem yeah there is there is no question about that and that is that persecution by any other name is still persecution yeah why do you need I, I, i've never understood this why do you need to ostracize people and degrade them because they don't believe or act and do what you think they should be. Yeah. My personal philosophy is um, why can't just people be? Exactly. You know, they are law abiding citizens, pay their taxes just like you. Yeah. And if why you don't pay are their you taxes. in their bedrooms? Yeah. I have, my philosophy is that I am not in anybody's bedroom. Yeah. You know, there are some people that think that. They can cure gay people. I mean, we talk. I, I saw your your, oh, your yeah. email yeah, about yeah. Umar Johnson. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I am I am a great proponent of Umar Johnson. He says a but, lot of good things, and then also a lot of things. He says a lot of great problematic things. things. Yeah. I mean, he he talks about Marcus Garvey and his his movement and what he does is based. In the teachings of Marcus Garvey, I am a descendant of Marcus Garvey. Um, I go around the world and the United States talking about Marcus Garvey. Yeah. And well, Umar thinks as a psychologist. Umar thinks most psychologists are are optimists, and Umar thinks that he can. He can change people that were gay. Yeah. And he know the cause of gayness. Yeah. I don't know. What makes a person gay? That's just me. Yeah. I never studied psychology, but I read psychology. He thinks that he can reprogram people that are gay. I said, you have millions of people. You're going to reprogram. Who don't need to be reprogrammed at all. (laughs) What I'm saying is that it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's offensive, too. It, It is very offensive. Yeah. You know, I don't like your lifestyle so I can reprogram you to what I think should be your norm. Yeah. But that is wrong. It is wrong on many levels. And on the first level is that you don't have the right. Yeah, yeah. You do not have the right to tell someone what they should be. Right, right. What they should be. 
I am a black nationalist. Most black nationalists, from what I've heard and from what they've told me, is that most of them are, they say, they're homophobic. Hmm. I don't consider myself a homophobic. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a lot of gay people in my family. Yeah. <laughs> they love me. Yeah. <laughs> they love me for who I am. Right. I don't judge them for their lifestyle or whatever practice they do. Yeah. Because it is not my business. My, yeah. my philosophy and where I draw the line is that it is not my business. Why are you in everybody? Why are you in people's bedrooms? Yep. I mean, my question, yep. my question is yeah. this. Why are you in people's bedroom? Yeah. I am not in anybody's bedroom. Yeah. I'm in my bedroom yep. and I know what I like. Right, right, right. <laughs> You know, I know what I like and what I do, but this should not be a concern. Exactly. You know, where I disagree with Homer is that, why is this a concern? Mm-hmm. What are you concerned with other people's bedroom gymnastics? Yeah. Other people's bedroom gymnastics and who they do it with should not be a factor. It should never be a factor. Of course. So we should, we, what we should do, we should... We should look at things from a critical point. And the critical point in this, in this venue should be, it should be, who do you love? Mm -hmm. Who do you love? Who do you love? Not that I am doctor, da-da-da-da-da, yeah. and I can cure you. Yeah. I can cure you because I feel that with my psychological training in, in, in the institution that I will reconstruct who you are and tell you who you should be. Yeah. And yeah. that's where I draw the line with Umar. I draw the line with Umar when he attempts to reconstruct people's lives yes yes you do not have that authority nope you know you've you've become you become a demagogue basically you you, you become the god yeah the god of humanism mm. and no one who elected you the god of humanism right right no one elected you god of humans yeah and that is that's where i stand i i, I know we kind of got off the, the initial subject yeah of what i came here for but then it's all relevant it's all connected it's, yeah it's, it's all connected. people talking about people how to be and how to live their lives you cannot suppress i'm here to talk about the plight of the people of west papua and and these people are being suppressed. Mm -hmm. Suppression, by any other name, is still suppression. Yes, yes. Be sexuality, color, race, or what have you. Yeah. It's still suppression. I mean, you, you, you go to Brazil, and, 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 in, and in Brazil, Brazil is a color-coded mm -hmm. society. It's a color-coded caste system. Yeah. The darker you are, the lesser you are in the system. Mm -hmm. You know? And like, like these people in the program that I saw, you know, a lot of people think that Brazil is some kind of lazier fear for transgender. Brazil oh, no, it's at the very highest, highest rate. rate. Yeah, yeah, I have friends from Brazil who are murder Yeah. of people that are yes. transgender. Yes. And not only transgender, but that are black. Mm-hmm. 
that are black in five years they killed how was that actual they killed what was it? five years in Brazil but well, 77% of the people killed in Brazil by the police are black between the ages of 17 and 25 wow. Wow. 17 and 35. This is what it is in Brazil. Yeah. It's not only gay people oh, yeah. that they're doing in, they're doing in black people. Yeah. And when you start doing in black people, not only black people, but I am very concerned of people with that genocidal mentality. Mm-hmm. If you are not like me, I will kill you. Yes. Hitler had that same mentality. Yeah. Hitler put pink armbands on gay people. Yes, yeah. And then there was a community that lived, that were Africans that lived in Germany, about 40,000 of Hitler wiped them out too. Mm. Because in World War I, the, the people in North Africa, there was a country, because of Somalia, they, they aligned with Germany. And they, there was a community of Germans, of, 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 of black Somalians in Germany that were wiped out mm. by Hitler. And, you know, and then gay people, they wipe them out. Yeah. So I am very concerned about people that exterminate people for whatever causes. Yes, yes. I am very concerned because if they wipe out the gays, what makes you think they won't wipe your black ass out too? Exactly. <laughs> well, it's what makes like, you think that they yeah. wouldn't jail and exterminate you? Yes. Well, it's like with you the know, police 77% here. of all the murders in Brazil, mm-hmm. you know, are black people. And they're like 52% of the population. Of the population. Yeah. I mean, you have to think about that. Yes. You know, if you lived in a country of 77% of the people that they kill were gay, you'd be very a concern. Yeah. So black people around the world should be concerned yes. about totalitarianism. Yes. And these regimes. Yes. And if and you're... these regimes. They want to turn one... They, they want to turn a segment of the society against, against the other, other instead of against them, right? That way they, they, of against them, they, so they, they have the we're power. We're going to pick the enemy. Right, right. We're going to pick the enemy and, and exterminate them based on what we think should be the norm, yeah. what our society should be, and that is wrong. Yeah. From a historical perspective, it is wrong. I have seen it, and it is totally Around. How did they get away with this? People say, well, how did they get away with this, you know, in, in the 30s and the 40s? And how did Hitler That's... come to rise? How did Trump come to rise? Yes, yeah. How did he People looking for a scapegoat. a household name yeah. based on what is bigotry? And the media propping him up. And the media, they were behind it because they made money. Make money off it, yeah. He made money out of it. As if slavery existed not because of a hatred of black people, slavery existed because of the greed of money and profit. Mm. This is why slavery exists. And then it manifested itself into hatred. Yes. It became part of their psychology. Mm. Eventually. Yeah. And it still exists. Yeah. And it still exists. You know, a lot of the people 
around the world don't know what's going on. Yeah. In West Papua. Yeah. They don't and know. They they don't know because it's it, it, they don't even know where it is. They don't even know that that the struggle even exists. Yes. And until I met you, I didn't know either. Well, you know, it's it's that we have to expose each other. Right. Right. To truths around the world. Yeah. See, there is a world order of justice. There is a world order of justice. There are yeah. people like you in Holland, in Germany, in South Africa, all over the world. There are people exist that don't agree with what they want to tell you is the norm. Mm-hmm. You take America. I mean, six corporations own over ninety percent yep. of all media. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like ridiculous. You know, so they tell people what they want them to believe. Right. And what people don't they question want it. Want you to be, don't question us. Yeah. Anybody that that disagrees with us must be well. You, you, there must be something wrong with you. Yeah. Oh, you must you must be gay. <laughs> you must be black. You stand on this page. Oh, you must be gay. You must be black. You must be everything that we don't like. Mm. You see, white supremacy is it's real. Oh yeah, yeah. White supremacy is real. And then I said in World War II, what you had is that the Fourth Reich defeated the Third Reich. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. You see, and, and is the is the Fourth Reich any better than the Third Reich? They have the same practices. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take the syphilis experiments, you know, that they did in this country for over forty years on yeah. black people. Yeah. You take that. In the prisons. You know, and the prisons. Yeah. Were you over 65% of the prison and 12-13% of the population? Right, right. 77% of the prisoners in in Brazil are black people. Are black people. But people think that Brazil is this laser fear all mm. except. See, this is the it goes myth. Goes back to the idea with like Holland and this San Francisco. The yeah, it's the myth. Yeah, we're dealing with the myth. So Holland, sure, you can go into yeah. a cafe, sit down, buy some weed, and sit down and smoke, and it's cool. Yeah. So that's their social order. Right. But then their governmental agencies mm-hmm. deny people. The right to express themselves by showing your flag. It is an offense mm-hmm. to them. There is the government and then there is people. I, I always draw the separation. I will not I will not denounce the people. I don't see it as the people of Holland speaking. I see it as the government of Holland yes. speaking yeah. because they are behind. The only reason that what the Indonesians did exist is because the, the government of Holland sanctions mm-hmm. these actions. I see. They sanctions these actions because there is an economic tie. Mm. Economic tie. And one of the economic ties is that there is gold mm-hmm. in West Papua. And this is why people are displaced and are subjugated to this genocidal practice mm-hmm. that is common and every day. Yeah. And it reminds me of just like with the U.S. going into the Middle East for oil. It's exactly. like the same thing. Going Have in you ever noticed that they only attacked the countries that had oil? That's a weird coincidence. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> hmm, that's Isn't odd. Isn't it ironic <laughs> that they attack people that have oil? 
You know, I don't know if you ever heard the um, the, the interview with with, with um, Amy Goldman and and uh, Wesley Clark. Oh no! I that is definitely. Please Google it. Okay. I tell people please Google it because you know what Wesley Clark said before Obama was even elected. Yeah. Wesley Clark said that they were going to attack seven countries. You know, he said this mm. with Amy is it's a must see because it tells you that it said has nothing to do with Obama. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, most presidents are window dressings anyway. Yep. Oh yeah. You yeah. cannot become a was, president yes. unless you're part of the window dressing yep. um, you, you know, mannequin, you know, lives. And Wilson Clark talks about these countries and its words came to fruition. Please Google this. Mm -hmm. I advise anyone that's interested in what's going on in the world yeah. and U.S. foreign policy yeah. is that Wesley Clark said this yes. seven years ago. Yeah. Gaddafi, all these people, this was all programmed. Mm -hmm. Assad in Syria, this was all programmed. Yeah. We are looking at the international order of business yes. and exploitation. Yes. Is what we're looking at. So I have a question. How do we disrupt this international business and exploitation? By doing exploitation? what we do now. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Need, we need to raise the consciousness of people. Yeah. We need to raise the consciousness. Because is that at some point, your consciousness was raised. Oh, yeah, And yeah. you became aware. Yeah. By the same token, we can do it to other people. Yes. But another way. Yeah, I like that. That's how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that song said, this is how we do it, baby. Excellent. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for, hey, for sharing. It, it this. was a pleasure to come here and to talk about what I saw. Yes, yes. What you're doing, what the people of West Papua are doing. Yes. And and, and how they wish to have their land and country back. Of course. It was a sovereign nation attacked in 1969, and the UN stood idle and did nothing. What does that tell you? What does that say? Is that They're the complicit. Western powers? The powers that be, the people that sell you the weapons, are the culprits in this society. Oh, yeah, that's my, my biggest... I, f I feel like the idea that we live in a society where somehow selling weapons is legal, yeah. while other types yeah. of work, and for instance, are the, not... Look, look at the countries that sell the weapons. Look the US. at the countries, the biggest... We're really biggest good at that. We're number one, manufacturers in the world. Yeah. They want you to kill each other. Yeah. Please stop. Yeah. Well, I know there were protests in Oakland. They were like, because like some of the shipments were even leaving in the port of Oakland, and folks protested because yeah. it's like here, you know, very here in the Bay Area, that's where the weapons are being shipped from some yes, of the time. Yes, is that we need to raise the consciousness level of people in this society yes around the world yes and and like radio stations like this and tv station and free independent TV, free radio yes where people where people speak people speak and hopefully we can build a campaign against this monstrosity yes because it's not doing us any good right Hatred is not doing us any good. No, God, no. It does the opposite. When's the last time hatred ever did anything good? Never. That's why, you know what, if more people became conscious... Yeah. 
in especially in this country yes we will replace every politician and we will elect people that we want mm. you should elect people that we want and we can only do this one way is that Killing them is not a solution. Right. Raising the consciousness of generations to come yes. is the solution. Yes. And that's 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 where I stand when it comes to liberation. Yeah. Liberate the, the mind. Yes. The rest will follow. I love that. I love that. <laughs> thank and then you. sharing. Thank, thank you, you so much for coming well, in, Ronaldo. It's always a pleasure to come back. Yes. And please invite me back. Absolutely. All right. Great. We'll be playing some more uh, music here, and then uh, we'll be back with some more stories so stay tuned you're listening to mutiny radio uh here from san francisco and stay tuned and we'll be back with just a little bit more back to weekly review thanks again to Ronaldo Ricketts for coming in always uh, wonderful to talk to you and uh, have some lively discussion and talk about what's going on in the world and also just find the patterns the the global patterns of what's 
happening. So a little bit of local news. Uh, there's an article in SF Weekly. I'll just give you the, the headline. Folks are welcome to read more about it. Uh, this was written by Chris Roberts. Uh, the real reason SF wants to ban tent encampments. And there's a lot about uh, media upsurge in uh, coverage of, of homeless folks. And there is also some skepticism as to how it would be covered because quite often the media doesn't necessarily um, play a really supportive or accurate role in what, what's happening. So Kelly Cutler from the Coalition on Homelessness uh, quotes from the article. Uh, to homeless advocates, this is just one more anti-homeless law and coming onto the ballot in a presidential election year when homelessness is a big issue, a transparently cynical move. This is uh, dog whistle politics, says Bevan Dufty, the city's former homeless star. This is politicians saying, you have a right to be angry at homeless people. Uh, and the only solution is to have more police on the street. And uh, this was also similar to with Pride, the idea that uh, using the Orlando as a reason to increase police presence when many folks uh, believe that uh, the idea of having more police makes people feel less safe. Uh, another article uh, from globalpost.com, white Americans are the biggest terror threat in the United States. You can check that out on our Facebook page, and that's facebook.com slash weeklyrev. Um, as well as from Mike.com, what Baina El Amin's assault case says about racism in the LGBTQ community. And this was a case of, um, there were, this happened in Chelsea, uh, I think last year or so, um, some drunk, a uh, drunk white couple got into an argument with another man. The man uh, who happened to be black defended himself and then he was then arrested. And the way the media spun it was that he uh, was homophobic when he in fact was gay himself. And the way the, the press was kind of using this was to describe him uh, very unfairly, um, just this kind of describing him as, as a black homophobe uh, um, when in fact he himself was is, a, is gay and was just defending himself. So you can find this article at uh, mike.com and I recommend checking that out. So wanting to move along, uh, as I said before, there's just so much to get to. Uh, th I was... <laughs> I always just want to get to, to so much, and uh, it feels tricky trying to give equal time to everything, um, but seeing as we have a limited amount of time here, I want to do my best to at least announce uh, and give t and speak on all the different things that are happening, and again, trying to find connections to all that, uh, all that is happening. So I'll be getting to the Supreme Court decisions in a little bit, as well as the Brexit. Uh, and I have uh, have some friends in England who are commenting on it, and folks there are pretty heartbroken uh, by it. So uh, there was also, of course, the attack in Istanbul, um, which, which happened. And so I was going to just read a little bit um, about that as well. Oh... Yes, uh, quite a bit, quite a bit is happening. And so um, I will read, uh, there's, a, there's an article, stories of some of the Istanbul airport attack uh, victims. And you can find this at uh, dailysabah.com and that is uh, daily, S-A-B-A-H.com. 
and I'll read a little bit about this. Uh, on Tuesday, 44 people were killed, including 19 foreigners and 237 injured after three Daesh-linked suicide bombers attacked Istanbul's main Ataturk uh, Airport, one of the deadliest strikes to stun Turkey's most populated city. After the brutal attack on the civilians, the heartbreaking stories of the victims began to appear. They were young, old men and women. Uh, here are some of their stories. Palestinian officials say Sandos Sharim and her three-year-old son, Rayan, both succumbed to their wounds Thursday. The two were in Istanbul for a Ramadan vacation along with her husband, who was injured. Turkish officials raised the death toll by one on Thursday. The discrepancy could not immediately be explained. Already listed as dead Wednesday was a family friend, Nizreen Malhim, 28. She too was looking forward to a few days of vacation along with her husband and their three-year-old daughter. Malhim and her husband worked in Saudi Arabia and planned to relax in the city before flying home to Palestine for Ramadan. They were caught up in the terror attacks shortly after the family left to the arrivals terminal and was heading toward the taxi stand. We heard shooting from a distance, said Marvan, Nisreen's husband. The explosion went off. I found my wife bleeding and my daughter too. Nazreen died in a hospital shortly afterward, leaving her husband shocked and mourning. The ones who did this are brutal criminals, he said. How come they kill innocent people? Adam Kurt, 32, never forgot his parents and other relatives. Even though he had moved to Istanbul to work at the Ataturk International Airport, he made it a point to visit his family in the northwestern province of Bursa every weekend. He had worked at the airport as part of supervisory staff for nearly two years before the attacks had, that claimed his life, cutting short reported plans for his engagement and future marriage. His family held a service in front of their home in Bursa on Wednesday before the funeral moved to the mosque. Uzbek national Uborjan Ustabayev, 22, was a trader who frequently visited the country to buy wares to sell back home. Ustabayev had arrived at Istanbul's Ataturk International Airport Tuesday night with $12,000 worth of textiles when he was caught up in the, de in the deadly suicide bombing attacks. Close friend Kamal Han said that he had spoken by phone with Ustabayev shortly after the attacks. He loved Turkey and had many dreams, Han told the state-run Anatolia news agency. Terrorism destroyed both those dreams and his love of Turkey. Uh, Kaglayan Cole, 26, began working at Ataturk International Airport's ground services in 2014. He was killed as he waited for the bus to take him home. After studying biology at Ozmangazi University in the northwestern province of Ekishir, Cole uh, had moved to Istanbul, but his frequent visits to his village were remembered by everyone back home. Kaglayan was beloved by all. Bas Basenur, um, excuse me, Baspinar village administrator Kazum Korkmaz told state-run Anatolia news agency. Cole would frequently comment on social media about his patriotism. One such tweet read, while my head might generally be volatile, my blood is not. Sure, I might occasionally have emotional ups and downs, but my heart has belonged to my country ever since my father first thought of me. His friends took to social media to commemorate Cole and condemn the terrorist attack. Could this really be happening? He was just making a living, wrote Sirkan Osman. And I'll read one more. Uh, two days after the attack, Saudi Arabia says that, sub that subsequent checks on its citizens show that three Saudis were killed in the attack on Istanbul's international airport after early reporting that six Saudis had been killed. 
Saudi Arabia's consulate in Istanbul said Thursday that four of the six originally thought to be Saudi citizens were passengers on a Saudi Airlines flight, but turned out to be Afghan and Turkish passport holders. They also said that another Saudi who had been wounded in the attack had since died. Saudi authorities did not name the Saudi victims. And uh, Fathi Badudith, um, Bayudith uh, was struck down by the attacks while apparently attending to family business. Quoting security sources in Tunis and Ankara, the Tunisian publication Business News said that Tunisian military doctor was in Istanbul to meet his son, who had joined the Islamic State extremist group in Syria and had been seen in the, in the conflict zone. His family, with the help of Tunisian intelligence, convinced him to leave the group and return home via Istanbul, said the publication. The son, in his 20s, was arrested by Turkish authorities for extradition to Tunis. It reported. The Tunisian Foreign Ministry confirmed the death of Bayud, head of the pediatric service of the Tunisian military hospital. But officials would not elaborate, saying details were personal and additional information had to come from the family.
back, that was some more music from the film Major, and that's music from Star Amarasu, who's an amazing singer, and you can also find some of Star's music if you type in Star's name, and the last name is Amarasu, that's A-M-E-R-A-S-U, so please do check out some more of Star's music. Uh, so next up, um, so I've received some news from friends in the UK, and first of all, I was going to play a clip of a, a British rapper named Akala, who was talking about racism within the UK, and one can certainly see the similarities between the racism there, as well as in the US, as well as the differences. So I was going to play that for some folks, and then go into some more uh, first-hand uh, reactions from folks in the UK. I think that when we talk about race, we tend to focus on individual acts of prejudice, which is why UKIP often come up, because they will overtly say stuff that we find offensive. But unfortunately, the issue of race, if we understand it, is a lot more insidious. And it takes a lot more of a historical view to understand the difference between individual bias and structural racism and privilege. And the idea of Great Britain was intimately tied to the fact that Britain's invaded almost every country on the earth, literally. No, literally, there's a map. You can, you can Google it. And so the idea of our greatness was intimately tied to this idea of empire, which was intimately tied to what Rajad Kipling calls the white man's burden, to go and civilize all these stupid brown folks that have been writing and having civilizations for thousands of years, but let's forget all of that. And so if we fast forward to today, when we talk about structural racism in Britain, do we have the same institutional disparities in rates of imprisonment that they have in America? Yes, absolutely we do. Do we have the same disparities in terms of who's dying in police custody? Yes, indeed we do. In 2011, we were told we loved Libyans so much we wanted to bomb democracy into them. Five, less than five years later, we're leaving people fleeing the same conflict to drown in the sea while giving a woman space in a national newspaper to refer to them as cockroaches. Mm. And when you refer to humans as cockroaches, that is a mandate for murder. Let's be clear about that. The moment human beings become non-human, that is a mandate for murder, and there's a long historical parallel of that. Today, Germany, the country that bombed this country, you know, in our grandparents' lifetimes, so theoretically the grandchildren of Nazis can get in and out of England easier than the grandchildren of people from the Commonwealth who fought against the Nazis. And where do they come from? When we talk about immigrants, do we mean people from Australia and New Zealand? Didn't Boris Johnson go to Australia and say, hey, we're culturally the same? Was he talking about the Aborigines when he said we, that? We call them expats. Right. White people have such a different way of classifying themselves that white immigrants are expats yeah. and non-white immigrants are immigrants. So when we say immigrants, if we go to border control, we can go there, Yarlswood, and we go and look at what, who's there. It's not a bunch of white people from New Zealand. Um, so we have structural forms of privilege and bias that are much more insidious and much more difficult to overcome. Um, the reaction to Africans and Asians coming here post-World War II, to rebuild the country after the Queen's German cousins bombed it, the reaction to them was one of general hatred. It's illogical. These people who had formerly been colonized by Britain had fought in both world wars. India gave 2.5 million volunteers, for those who don't know. When we talk about being saved by America in the war, we want to talk about being saved by India and Russia. That would be a bit more accurate, but that's a bit inconvenient. But the reaction to those people and their descendants has been one that is about structural bias and privilege. The greatest metaphor for this might be Canary Wharf and Tower Hamlets. Sure. If you look at that predominantly Bengali community that has to look at Canary Wharf every day, how many of those people work in Canary Wharf other than to clean toilets? I, I only got into that through Grime. So the first thing, I'm listening to Grime records and they're, they're all rapping about E14. Yeah. And I'm going, where's that? And I'm like, Canary Wharf? Yeah, they're What's definitely not rapping about Canary <laughs> I suppose what I'm saying is not about saying that there is there's bias and bigotry everywhere in the world. The country my grandparents come from, they 
it's pretty much generally accepted that they don't like gay people. But what's interesting, race even plays a role in that. In Jamaica, we have disgraceful homophobia. No one ever says it's because of Christian fundamentalism. Because even though it is justified in explicitly Christian fundamentalist terms. Because only Muslims do bad stuff because of their religion. Because we know almost all the Muslims in the world are brown. Whereas when a German wings pilot crashes and kills 150 people deliberately, or the man in Norway killed nearly 90 people. I was in Australia when that happened. This is how uniform the agreement is that white people will be portrayed differently. The Australian media referred to Andres Brevik as having terrorist-like tactics. Yeah. I mean, to think about that. Yeah. This guy killed almost 100 people, and he's just almost a terrorist. And he'd written a crazy thing about Muslims. Oh, it's very clear. I mean, he was a terrorist by, yeah. by any standard. The idea that white is right isn't just a European idea. It's an idea that has had insidious implications, because no matter what, the 700 people that were left to drown off the coast of the Mediterranean, were they white human beings, they wouldn't have been left to drown. And they certainly wouldn't be called cockroaches. Okay, so again, that was a British rapper named Akala, and uh, thanks to our friend Aisha Leopard for posting that and sharing that. So uh, Aisha and I were messaging each other shortly after the Brexit vote happened and wanted to uh, read a little bit of what Aisha shared with me. Um, just to get a better sense for folks of us here in the States as to what's happening uh, overseas. So um, so she says that she's a, she's a scientist. I'm just reading uh, verbatim what, what she's written. Uh, she's a scientist, and they get a net profit of three uh, billion uh, pounds from the EU funding. And this, of course, would, would be changed uh, with uh, England leaving the, the EU. And it's a blow to cancer research, to all research, and uh, <laughs> that the British public are uh, morons, xenophobic, uneducated morons. 75% uh, of young people voted to stay, while 60% of old people voted to leave, and the old have royally fucked the young, educated masses. And um, I mentioned that this kind of seems similar to some thinking here in the U.S. And... Um, I used to mention that uh, Scotland, uh, they're already starting a new referendum to leave Britain, and there's talk of Northern Ireland doing the same. Uh, Britain is divided due to racist, far-right old fascists, and uh, she, says you can't, she says, I can't tell you how the youth of England feel. Um, so many of us are getting drunk. Boris Johnson is now going to be the new prime minister. He is a joke. And he's Donald Trump part two. England is worthless now. We've already dropped 19% on the FTSE uh, 100 stocks. And the pound is worth, uh, is worth its lowest value since 1985. And this is, we had this conversation on, on June 24th, just to give you a timeline of when this happened. Uh, and if you wanted to visit the UK, it's at least 10% cheaper for you right now. Um, my friend is in training to be a social worker, and the EU gives lots of disability funding and rights. And the conservative government has opposed LGBT rights, and now they are in full control with no EU to straighten them out. The EU introduced GMO regulation, environmental rights, uh, really good maternity pay, paternity pay, workers' rights, women's rights. Uh, we have four weeks minimum paid vacation due to the EU. Uh, we have clean beaches, water, less pollution, green energy funding, but that doesn't matter to 52% of the population. Um, uh, who wants to be a far-right nationalist country. Um, and a lot of people voted to leave the EU to stop immigration uh, because they're xenophobic. And coming from the, the daughter of an immigrant, that's extremely painful to hear. Um, and... Um, 
so um, oh yes, also thousands of UK citizens are already looking into acquiring an Irish passport, and the youth feel like they've been betrayed. Um, yes, so this is uh, recognized. Reading this now, in the just kind of picking out the the comments in the in the conversation might seem a little bit uh, out of sorts in a little uh, in ways. I, I really wanted to. Um, just get the message across from someone who's there, what's what's happening, what folks are going through. And a lot of folks have said this is kind of similar to what would happen if, if I won't even say his name, but the evil Republican candidate, if he were elected, something similar where a lot of people would feel betrayed and the impact it would have on environmental and social uh, issues here, not even issues, but just people, the people on the planet, if folks who are far right get their way. And as a warning, um, just as a warning. So again, thank you to Aisha Leopard. I hope I, I realize I can't do your words quite uh, justice, but I really wanted to share what you had to say and get the message across because it really struck me. And I think there's this idea of kind of going back to the f one of the first stories talking about when folks get upset and emotional and sometimes politicians like, oh, you're being emotional. And to, to say that there's not logic behind the emotion is, is really, I, I feel like that. I feel like that's an attack and it's really important to understand why folks are feeling the way they're feeling and to understand the repercussions of these decisions that happen on the, in the political sphere, both uh, locally and globally. So with that, I, I heard a song. Uh, I'll be, oh, there's a couple more stories I'll get into before the end of the program. One is about the um, anti-fascists going in to disrupt a white supremacist rally in Sacramento, which also occurred during Pride Weekend. And then I'll end on some positive um, and there were some positive things that came from that, of course, uh, stopping white supremacists from marching, um, although many folks were injured. Um, actually, I'll go into that right now since I'm talking about it. So a lot of folks are not aware of this, and I only, f I mean, it's the thing where it's like through word of mouth, I was talking to Ronaldo about this, like we only find out about certain things through word of mouth and through, through friends, and if I hadn't been connected to certain people, I would have had no idea that this was actually happening. So I'm going to read a page. There's a fundraising page. So uh, in summary, there were uh, white supremacists who were trying to gather in Sacramento and anti-fascists. Um, many, like over 400 people, decided to combat them and to stop them from marching in Sacramento. And so there is a website called itsgoingdown.org. I really want to um, have folks check that out. So this came, came out on this article is on June 27th, and it's how to support those injured in the hashtag no Nazis in SAC shutdown. And again, it's fun. Uh, you can call it, it's going down. On Sunday, June 26th, over 500 anti-fascists converged at the Sacramento State Capitol to shut down the Golden State Skinheads, GSS, who were representing for the traditional worker party in the TWP. Members of other neo-Nazi groups were largely no-shows, although two members of Blood and Honor were in attendance and were quickly left behind by GSS and were promptly ejected. A live streamer, reporter for fascist media outlet Red Ice Creations was also sneaking around the Capitol. The stream was shut down and they were showed a quick exit. Matthew Heimbach, leader of the TWP, was noticeably not in attendance and instead sat at home on his computer and made commentary over the live stream and declared victory while his troops were running to their cars. While a much more in-depth and bigger report is sure to come soon, what can be said in short 
excuse me, is that after having almost two months to build for a large mobilization, the neo-Nazis and white nationalists could only muster about 15 to 20 people on their side. For anti-fascists, working between crews, organizations, and cities, we manifested a massive turnout in about half the time. The crowd was racially and politically, political, political diverse and politically diverse and had a strong showing of militant queer and trans people. There was also a large turnout of poor and working class whites, as well as punk rockers, and traditional anti-racist skinheads who also threw the fuck down. The crowd was militant and dedicated to shutting down the rally while doing an amazing job of taking care of each other. Folks on the street after the clashes shook people's hands and commented the black bloc for acting with courage and bravery. The neo-Nazis were not able to march, and they did not have a rally. They were total failures. GSS couldn't have made it th through the front, so they couldn't make it through the front, so they snuck around the back before being ejected. Everyone from GSS to fascist media outlet Red Ice Radio, the two unaffiliated white supremacists, were shut down. GSS acted from a place from a from a place of desperation. Anti-fascists operated from a place of strength. Antifa had shut down all their other options and minimized what they could do, and after being confronted, they quickly ran to their cars several blocks away and sped off. While the crowd accomplished what it set out to do, it came at a high cost. In the confrontation, several people, several people suffered stab wounds and other trauma. Many of the injured were fighting to break free from class, gender, and racial oppression that shape the American colonial reality. Here are the list of ways that people can help. And again, you can find this at uh, itsgoingdown.org. One, donate to the medical fund. If you can, please donate to the bail and medical fund. Anything helps, and you can also share the link on social media. Go there at https colon forward slash forward slash rally dot org slash June 26th. Again, that's https colon slash slash rally.org slash June 26th. Two, throw a benefit. Several groups are already planning benefit events in several locations. Host an event, discussion, or party to raise funds. Welcome to Leaf is now on Netflix if you are looking for an excellent film to show. We also recommend getting in contact with a local anti-fascist speaker or holding a discussion about how these struggles are linked to what is happening in your area. Number three, drop a banner or hold a rally. Drop a banner in a public place, take a picture, or send or and send in report to itsgoingdown.org. Hold a rally or demonstration, hand out flyers, and talk with people about how what happened in Sacramento was a victory against fascism and white supremacy and why we should support the people that were injured fighting. These acts of solidarity with help will help uh, build people's spirits and show that our struggles are connected. Four, send a card of support. Want to send a message to anti-fascists who are dealing with injuries? You can send messages of support to Sacramento Prisoner Support, P.O. Box 163126, Sacramento, California, 95816. And I will read that again if you'd like to write that down so you can send a message. And again, that's to Sacramento Prisoner Support, P.O. Box 163126, Sacramento, California, 95816. Number five, take action against fascism in your area. Organize, confront, and combat fascism and white nationalism in your area. Let us build from this mobilization and sweep the fascists off the streets. No Parasan, no Pasaron, excuse me. 
Number six, print out and put up solidarity posters. And they have a link to posters uh, on the page. Uh, you, you can download the posters and place them around where you live, work, or go to school. Take pictures and send them to itsgoingdown.org. And the posters say, uh, solidarity with the anti-fascist combatants. Uh, yes, so again, you can find all this information again at itsgoingdown.org, and a big thank you to all the comrades out there who were uh, speaking up and doing their part. And I'm going to look for a clip. There was someone who, a teacher there who uh, was, was injured, and, and she was interviewed, and I wanted to play a clip. She was uh, interviewed in the news, so I'm going to look for that. In the meantime, this song came up, and it kind of really matched what was happening, what is happening in England, and it's from a while ago. It was happening, this album as from uh, Block Party and it's a weekend in the city and it kind of deals with the idea of like xenophobia and uh, that we talked about on the show and it's called Hunting for Witches.
Okay, so that was Block Party with Hunting for Witches. All right, we're running low on time, so I'm going to get to the other articles real quick. Uh, first of all, I wanted to end on a positive note. Uh, so from Narrow Pro-Choice, Texas, uh, the statement on the SCOTUS ruling striking down the clinic shutdown law. Uh, on Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a historic ruling striking down provisions of a Texas law that would have forced all but nine abortion clinics in the state to close. Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Texas clinics in Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt. Uh, Heather Busby, executive director of Narrow Pro-Choice Texas, made the following statement in response to the Supreme Court ruling. Today's Supreme Court ruling is a victory for Texans' he uh, health and safety. This decision means that the remaining abortion clinics in Texas won't have to close their doors and paves the way for other clinics to open to meet the needs of underserved communities across the state. This landmark decision continues the powerful momentum for reproductive rights and against political in interference in our right to safe legal abortion. The fight to protect abortion access does not end today. This is just the first step in demand dismantling laws that make it harder for people to access the health care they need. Excellent. And then next we have uh, another positive uh, spin story from the Supreme Court. This comes from Mother Jones. Supreme Court says no to guns for domestic batterers. On the last day of the term, the high court rejects domestic abusers' attempt to avoid a gun prosecution. You can find this at motherjones.com. Or, yeah, motherjones.com. It's written by Stephanie uh, Mentzimer, and this came out on June 27th. Uh, should domestic abusers who get convicted of minor domestic violence charges get to keep their right to own guns just because their crimes were merely reckless as opposed to premeditated? That's more or less the question the Supreme Court was considering in of Voisin versus U.S., a somewhat obscure case that was languishing on the court's docket as one of the last cases decided of the term. In a 6-2 to two opinion written by Justice Elena Kagan, the high court answered that question with a muted no. The case challenges a 1996 amendment to the Federal Gun Control Act sponsored and named after the late New Jersey Senator Frank Lautenberg that barred people convicted of misdemeanor domestic violence offenses. <clears throat> from owning firearms, violating the law, carried a federal felony charge with a 10-year maximum sentence attached. The law was a triumph for women's advocates because it recognized that people guilty of domestic violence were rarely charged with felonies and banned from gun, owner gun ownership, and that there, were a that there was a documented relationship between domestic violence and gun homicides. The law was designed to keep guns out of the hands of those perps, and even when they'd only been convicted of misdemeanors. Over the past 10 years, the gun lobby and some criminal defense groups have come have made a fairly concerted attack on the Lautenberg Amendment on various fronts to weaken its reach and to try to return gun rights to batterers. Voisin is the first is the third such case the court has heard since 2009. The latest defendants to take on the law are Stephen Voisin and William Armstrong III, neither of whom are model citizens. Voisin has a long track record of beating up his significant others. He pleaded guilty to assaulting his his girlfriend in 2003 and was convicted again of assaulting a girlfriend in 2005. After receiving an anonymous tip, federal authorities discovered that Voisin had shot and killed a bald baby eagle. 
They confronted Voisin about the shooting, and he turned over a rifle. During a background check, federal authorities discovered his 2003 domestic assault conviction. In 2011, he was prosecuted both for killing an endangered bird and for illegally possessing a gun after his prior domestic violence conviction. He pleaded guilty but reserved his right. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of you listen 